Hi, unorthodox listeners. Uh, I am Noah Levinson, editor of the show, remover of mouth sounds, lever inner of swear words. Please consider yourself warned. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am not your host, Mark Oppenheimer. I am Shira Tulishkin, one of the show's beloved producers. And I'm joined today by our other super beloved producers. I'm here with Josh Cross. Hey. And Noah Levinson. No parents, no rules. <laughs> Mark Liel and Stephanie are off today doing God knows what. So we're taking over, filling in and bringing you some very fun, very goy revelatory stories from around the world. We've got an update from Sister Julia Walsh, who, as we remember, was our Franciscan nun, Gentile of the Week, back in May, and is back with some awesome stuff for us. We've got to talk with personally one of my favorite Gentiles in the whole world, Professor Charles Stang from the Harvard Divinity School. And we do live marriage counseling with two of our listeners, one who grew up Orthodox and the other who's thinking about converting to Judaism before she marries him. And they decided to talk about this on our show. It's going to be great. So, guys, I think we still should talk about what we've been up to this summer. Um, Shara, how's postgraduate chaplain life been? So as of literally yesterday, I just finished spending 10 weeks working as a hospital chaplain. Um, and it was actually really great. So hospitals can be, are, I think for most people, and certainly for me, really intimidating places. You have medical patients, you have psychiatric patients, you have a lot of patients there who are coming in from shelters. People want to pray with you. You work with religion, people from religions of all faith. Um, and it's just this grueling, insane 10 weeks of like living in often people's worst moments. I think one of the things you have to learn is just like you, you really can't help people, but somehow they call you and you're supposed to just do something and like you do something. And of course, you're a, a sympathetic person to begin with. But it, is there something specific, a, a rule, a thing about being a sympathetic ear that this experience taught you? So I think one of the things I actually learned is that when you offer to pray from, for somebody, actually pray for them. Right. We often will say I'm sending thoughts and prayers, but we don't then like stop and literally say a prayer if praying is kind of part of your spiritual practice. And when someone asks you to pray for them, one always offer even the atheists, the people who are like, I hate God. I've never believed in him. He's not there. If I'm like, can I say a prayer for you before I leave? Like always said yes. Um, but then don't just like be performative, um, like actually just pray for them. Like think about like what you're asking. Um because I think we often think of prayer as performative or something we say but don't do. But, you know, Rosh Chodesh Elul was this weekend, so prayer is real. Do it. Good advice. Jashi, what's going on with you? Well, I spent half my summer in France because I have a hard life, which, although I will say that having spent three weeks all over the place there, uh, the rumors seem to be a little bit exaggerated lately. It's not as bad for Jews as, you know, people think. I saw a lot more yarmulkes in the wonderful parade when the French won the World Cup, which I was in Paris for, which was freaking awesome. Oh, that's cool. Um, finally back. But the whole time I was there, and I, you know, I still was annoying Shira with plenty of emails. But I've also been working on another podcast. I've been cheating <sighs> on y'all. Do tell. Uh, um, Hadassah. Uh, the hospital in Jerusalem and the women's organization here reached out to Mark about having us make another sh or, or show for having us make a show for them. And it's coming out soon. I don't have a lot of details I can share right now, but it's called The Branch and it's about Arab Israeli coexistence. And you'll hear more about that in a few weeks. Um, but that's I, about I it. I cannot wait to listen. 
Actually, I've already listened, but I, I can <laughs> not wait to uh, listen a second time. Yeah, I need to finish those episodes. Um, so um, that sounds really great. It's it's been a really interesting experience. Um, so I've been working with a really great journalist. Hi, Dina. And so we'll see. Um, know you? I think I'll just share my best story from the summer, which is... Um, I'm excited. Uh, well, I was doing a lot of podcasting from the road uh, because I was making a trek up to Canada to hike the Fundy footpath and uh, a rather slow one because I would like stop a few times a week to like rent an Airbnb, edit this show or another podcast, and then keep going on in my sort of working vacation. So I had just finished our very successful and awesome and hilarious Chabad show, uh, where we, you know, went around with our Lubavitch friends and asked people if they were Jewish on the street, as they do. And the day it came out, I was at Acadia National Park and took the day to uh, launch my stand-up paddleboard into the Atlantic Ocean for its uh, maiden voyage. And when I paddled back, I noticed there were six Chabadniks, like, mulling about on the shore. From a distance, I couldn't tell if they were groomsmen for a wedding and, like, taking photos and stuff. But, no, these are real Chabadniks in Maine. I asked them if such a thing was uh, normal or possible, and they said, no, they were all actually from New Haven. And they turned out to be some of the greatest guys I've met. I ended up spending the whole day with them. I shared their campsite, and we went for a hike the next day. They had heard of the podcast and had been saying that among, like, Chabad message boards, our episode was getting, like, some positive feedback. They were really funny and fun. We had some really interesting theological conversations, talked about atheism and morality. Uh, congratulations also to Label and to Israel, who are both getting married this summer. As you know, we uh, like to take lots of letters and voicemails from our beloved listeners, and uh, we are asked to do many things. Encourage conversions, bless certain unorthodoxies, opine on cultural matters, and occasionally we are even asked to arbitrate relationship disputes. And so uh, last week, we took that particular talent to its next logical step, and uh, offered the first ever unorthodox couples counseling. So I'm, let's play a little word association. Oh, shit. I'm going to say a word, and you tell me just like whatever comes to mind. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It's really easy. This is so therapeutic. I was so worried this was going to be therapeutic. I'm anxious right now. It's like right up here. Okay. Religion. Gray. Judaism. Black. Hold on. I'm going to just say colors now. I'm in a weird mood. <laughs> we are new at this. Please forgive us. Uh, you ready? Uh-huh. Judaism. Jews. Religion. God. Food. Artichokes. The artichoke, I think if I didn't know where you're from, I, I know where you're from. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're an Italian Jew already, it's fine. Uh-huh. Um, that is Eletra Pauletto, and before you heard Ken Rosen, her husband-to-be. They're getting married in September, um, and Ken was raised modern Orthodox in Manhattan. Electra was raised in a not very observant Catholic home in Italy, and now she's converting to Judaism, and it just comes with a lot of baggage for both of them. Um, 
I'm conflicted because I want to say, no, please convert so we can get married and let's just be done with it. But I also want to support her in her decision if she said, no, you know, fuck it, I'm not going to convert. And if you love me, it shouldn't matter. So Ken wrote into us a couple of weeks ago saying that a listener voicemail that we played and the ensuing conversation had given them both a lot to think about. So let's start by playing that one again. I was raised in suburban New York. Uh, my dad is an Orthodox rabbi's atheist son, and my mom's a cradle Episcopalian. So I was raised half and half. And really what that meant, we had a Seder with Easter eggs, and we lit a menorah next to the Christmas tree. But we never talked about God. I had uh, a lot of the ritual, but none of the substance. Uh, in college, I studied religion, and, and in grad school, I fell in with a, a really wonderful Christian community, captivated by the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and I was baptized. Now, the question is, how do I raise my daughter with a sense of Jewishness? Am I even allowed to do this? When I was baptized, did I give up any claim to my inherent tribal identity? Um, This is something I'm deeply and thoroughly conflicted about, so I'm calling some podcasters about it, as one does. Uh, Danielle, I I love the show. Thank you for the work, and I, I really hope you can help me out here. Bye. In response to that message, Liel told the listener that, of course, he would be welcomed back into Judaism without precondition, and that absolutely he should explore and embrace his heritage as he saw fit. But he also challenged the listener to think, what would really be the point of passing these traditions on to his daughter if they weren't really undergirded with an actual Jewish faith? And then Stephanie defended, in general, the practice of raising your kids in the Jewish tradition, regardless of your own belief in God. And it was all very interesting, and if you uh, want to go back to episode 133 and hear it all again, it's there towards the end. Little did we know that our debate was kind of exposing some of the daylight that existed between the belief systems of Eletra and Ken. Eletra believes in God— She did when she was a Catholic, and she believes in the same God now that she's becoming a Jew, whereas Ken is pretty much off the derech and admits to being an atheist, which sort of makes her, and him, and us wonder why he's asking her to do this conversion. So we took it to the couch, so to speak, with Dr. Leibovitz counseling Elektra and Dr. Butnik in a separate room talking to Ken. The closer we get to the wedding, the more I realize it's not just her changing religions. It's it's a big ordeal and with, with larger implications for how we're going to run our family. Um, and I just always figured, being 27 and naive, that a marriage was a quick legal exchange and then a move into oblivion. <laughs> but it's it's turning out to be much more than that, surprisingly. Tell me about the, the, the conversion process. How did it begin? Uh, it began with the engagement. Well, I guess a little bit before the engagement. Um, so the engagement to me was a huge surprise. Ken was very much trying to throw me off the scent. Um, the one thing that did happen, though, is he bought me a book to be a Jew, um, the seminal conversion book. I kind of like dropped hints, maybe here and there, very unsubtle hints. Like what? Um, like, what do you think about going to Pesach with my parents every year? Um, you know, w- w- do you think maybe keeping kosher would be healthy for us in the long run? <laughs> I knew right off that I wanted to marry her within the first week. Religion didn't come into it until later, and it was something I was worried about 
because my father, to my understanding, told my mother that he would propose to her if she converts. And I knew that it was important to my family at the time that I marry a Jew or at least have someone who's willing to convert. But I didn't want to preface my marriage on the thought that on, on this idea that she needs to give me something in order to then be my, right. Like this trade. I've never been religious. Um, I was, I grew up Catholic. Um, it was just something that we did in my small town in Italy. Uh, we just went to church on Sundays for the songs. You saw the people there and the outfits. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to think that, oh, if I was ever asked to convert for any reason, um, I wouldn't do it because I'm not religious and I don't believe in religion as a way to connect to God. You just can, you can connect to God directly. Um, so that's why I was a bit hesitant at first, but then looking into it, I felt I, I, I changed my mind. Um, so any hesitation came well before. I was raised uh, modern Orthodox on 84th Street, right across the street from uh, KJ and Ramaz, the lower school, uh, before they built the middle school. And we basically, my sister and I, spent our youth walking that one block between the apartment building and Ramaz uh, for services in school. And so that's a Jewish day school, right? Like how That's the Jewish, I guess that would be the preeminent or one of the preeminent yeshivas in the city. So were you the kind of Jewish kid who was raised like, you better marry a Jewish girl, you got to date Jewish girls? Like, was that something that was part, like something that you grew up hearing or was, was conscious of? No, not really. It was so subtle because we were brought up in this extremely modern Orthodox community that all of our friends were Jewish, right? Our play dates were with Jews. To think of meeting someone who wasn't Jewish was inconceivable. But after I left Ramaz, after I left the city and went elsewhere for school, I didn't think I'd marry a Jew. How did you decide that? Because New York Jews, you had a whole episode about this, are very specific breed. And I didn't see myself mixing with them. For the listeners of yours who aren't here now in this room, I have tattoos. I don't keep kosher, right? I wasn't going to fit well with a woman who was brought up in the Lower East Side or, you know, the Upper East Side and went to a yeshiva. So I didn't have any designs on Jewish women. To me, it seems almost like you didn't realize that, like, there were reformed Jewish women out there. Like, you sort of knew what the type of girls that you grew up with, and you were like, well, I'm not marrying one of them because I differ from them. We're modern Orthodox. They're not Jews, right? Like, I was growing up, they're not Jews. Those are not Jews. Those are pretenders or half-breeds or muggles, right, even, Um, which is a terrible way to be brought up. It's so uh, secluded and so isolationist. Um, and I didn't really understand there were other options. I only knew that there were modern Orthodox and then there were, uh, Hasidic Jews. And I knew I wasn't a Hasid. <laughs> How's your family reacting to this? Um, they're, they're all, uh, they were initially a little baffled because I've, you know, never shown interest in religion. Um, and then they were just like, oh, that's, that's interesting. When are you, when are you going to come visit? You know, they, they've never really been, um, strong They've never, had, you know, expressed strong opinions about what I do. They're just like, oh, you you do this, you do that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. So it's fascinating that your mother converted to Judaism. What? what how had she been raised? So she was, I believe, raised uh, Catholic and converted reform 
and then was reconverted to ortho, uh, Orthodox just before we were born, or like before she got pregnant. Um, and then she's been a practicing Jew ever since, very much more in line with keeping kosher and the high holidays and making sure the house is clean for Passover. Um, probably one of the better Jews that I know. Puts me to shame. Electra started her conversion process with an Orthodox congregation, but before long, she realized it didn't fit. Eating kosher, living Shomer Shabbos, it just wasn't going to happen. And not just because it's really hard to transition from a secular lifestyle to an Orthodox one, but because, as Electra put it, I have not seen him practice any of that in the way that he grew up. He's not done that with me uh, for the time we've been together. Uh, he said that since, you know, middle school onwards, he's not really practiced that. And was he, uh, how, how did he react to your aversion to the orthodoxy with which he grew up? His was initially the strongest reaction because I went and met the rabbi and I said and he said okay you know god willing we can convert you here and I started going to their I was it was Purim at the time and I went to the Megillah reading and all that and then I said to Ken well he wants to meet you and he just was violently opposed to that I was like no why do I have to do this I don't want to do I don't want to go to shul I don't want to go I don't want to go <laughs> and so that's when you know I felt much better about that because I felt like, oh, I don't have to do this. I had told her at the beginning, I said, I'm good. Like, I did all that shit. I kept kosher. I wore the tzitzit. You know, I was bar mitzvahed. I'm good. I paid my dues to the Jewish community. I, I stayed silent for the Holocaust Remembrance Day every year. You know, it's like, I did it. And now I'm coming back around to figuring out how we're going to integrate it into our family. Um, and I just had assumed that it was sort of a prerequisite to starting a family rather than imbuing it with a tradition that I once had. What would you say is the biggest stumbling block between you right now when it comes to the conversion? What's the largest point of disagreement? I think we've hit on that. It's that he doesn't want to really do anything. He's felt he, f he feels that he's already done the Jewish preparation, you know, he went to KJ and Yeshiva and all of that growing up, and um, so he doesn't want to do it anymore. He already knows. You go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, 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 you learn. <laughs> you, you have know. to catch up. Right. Um, so that's been it. But I, you know, and I've been fighting it because it's not like we talk about it. You know, it's having a Jewish home means we both have to do this together. I didn't really think it was going to be uh, the cause of any heartache. I thought we understood by having been through it before that she would convert in whatever way she wants to convert. It's up to her. It's her religion. Um, it would be nice if she picked Jewish, right? Um, and then pick what she wants beneath that. But then when we brought it up with my mother, she was very adamant about the type of Jew she wanted Electra to become for the kids. It wasn't about, you know, Electra's faith or my faith or the community in which we found ourselves most apt to join um it was this debate about the kids that we didn't have yet so did she did she convert my mother or no let her she could she will be converted on september 7th september 6th 
So just about a week before the wedding. Um, she's been studying all this time ever since December. And so what kind of conversion is it? She's converting as a uh, reform. Right? So is the problem, it's not that she's not converting, it's that she's not converting. I want to or, just explain right yeah. now, like my not being able to articulate it is a, is a show of how indifferent I am to like her Jewishness. She has taken on the responsibility of becoming a Jew in such an honest way that she's made it into her entire own thing. Like whatever I can impart as an Orthodox, modern Orthodox Jew or as someone who was raised as a modern Orthodox she's just ignored it all and taken it on her own to learn the religion and how she wanted to practice it. And I find that the most endearing. And also to say that I didn't uh, really participate in the conversion until recently to listening to unorthodox and uh, taking a broader interest in her studies. So um, I think it's reform is what I'm saying. What are the options? It's not reform, conservative and orthodox. Right. Yes. And Reform is the, is the lowest. It's the lowest and therefore the least accepted by my mother. I, ha- I have two undergraduate degrees and two master's degrees. I could have learned all that on my own if I wanted to, but I had to go to school and I had to get the piece of paper that said, this is... You're that you person. I, I'm you that need, person. You need the accreditation. Yeah, I need, so now- and I need someone to sort of force me a lot, not force me, but like keep me in line so that I do the things that I say I want to do and actually get to them. Otherwise, I just kind of, I don't know, wander off into the nothing. So now you're, you're getting a <laughs> PhD in being Jewish. Yeah. 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 I know. And that's the funny thing. When, when we got engaged, Ken said, well, now you can take more classes because you just finished your MFA and you needed a new project. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, rabbinical school can be far behind. <laughs> Maybe. Huh? Yeah. Who knows? I, I never knew, thought, you know, 10, 15 years ago that I would someday convert. Well, it's, it's weird because, like, you're saying, like, she kind of has to do it, but you don't want her to feel like she has to do it, but she has to do it. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, this is like a stressful thing. Like, I'm stressed out hearing about this. Like, you don't want her to feel stressed, but she kind of, like, it's a lot. It's, this is big. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, what if she decides she doesn't want to finish the conversion? It would be a tough decision. I would still marry her. Um, I'd still marry her. I love her to death. It's just, uh, you know, then we'd have to figure out what to do with the kids. I mean, you're trying to join two lives together, and there's nothing that's going to be easy about that. So we dismissed Ken and Electra for the day and asked them not to tell each other what had been discussed in their own separate sessions. And then the next day, you know, just like an episode of Maury or Jerry Springer, we brought them back together for a final chat with Mark. So in our conversations with both of you, one of the things that seemed a little bit different is that you are a spiritual person, Electra, and you seem not to be. You seem to be an atheist. Is that right? There's very much a left-right brain battle here yeah. okay so so one thing that's interesting to me is that um you know when someday you have children or even as you're just relating to um any synagogue that you might join that you seem to actually take the god stuff um more seriously is that is that fair i would say so yeah especially when you know the family came into the conversion talk there was no <laughs> mention of god at all 
And that really, that really turned me off. It's that tradition. made me feel like that's what it is. Yeah, it's sure. tradition. I don't know what God. What is. about God? What is that? This isn't. Who is that? What is this all about? <laughs> tradition. So, what is it for you? Leaving it's, a letter out of this, it sounds like if you weren't getting married, you'd have no relationship to Judaism at all. Okay. The fact that she's converting has brought me back, which is why we're sitting here. Okay. So, if you were just out there, like doing what you did, which is like being single. Like what would what was Judaism to you aside? It it sounds like it was basically the annoying girls I knew in junior high. Judaism was a nuisance. Yeah, it was this idea of a person I once was and will never be again. And yet, then you fall in love, and the second you formulate the idea of marrying her, you think, and she better be Jewish. Continuity, like natural selection, all these things started coming into play that I had hadn't considered even when I, you know I haven't considered marriage. Um, and I was like, uh, this is easy. Just have her convert. That's it. That'll solve it all. Parents are happy. I'm happy. The Jewish people will go on and will will live happily ever after. So it's like land. actually like your your childhood rabbi and your dead great grandma had been lying dormant on your shoulder waiting to speak to you the second that you had met the woman you were going to marry. Maybe. That's freaky, though. That's very <laughs> precious, though, too. <laughs> so why do you care so much if you don't believe that any of this is metaphysically true? I think it's metaphysically true. I don't think it's religiously, you know, viable. Um, does that make sense? Mm-mm. I feel like I articulated it better. Like mm-hmm. God, why do I not believe it's metaphysically true? How do you mean? Well, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is it's a good technology for getting people together for dinners, mm-hmm. but that it's not anything more. What should it be? Hey, man, I'm not the one mm-hmm. asking women to convert. Yeah. I mean, what what do you... You know, why does it matter so much to you? It's, it's, maybe it is something spiritual. It's, it's like a, it's like a calling. It's not a rational decision I made because I arrived at this conclusion. It's, it's, you know, drawing, it's why I'm attracted to her. You know, it's just, it's a draw. It makes sense to ask you to to convert. It makes sense that we carry on this religion, this tradition. Um, there's no, I know maybe religion isn't logical to begin with, right? I mean, people kill each other over it all the time. Is that logical? No, but we we all believe in it because there's some driving force toward mm-hmm. it. But you don't believe in it enough, Ken, to do it if she weren't in the picture. Right, right, right. So, so maybe she's my better half in that regard. <laughs> So one way of looking at this is that she's your better half. Another way of looking at it is you're asking her to do this religious work that in a million years you would never do yourself. Right. Or maybe I'm asking her to do it in order to help me do it too. Why do you think he's asking you to do it, Electra? I think that there's a familiarity element to it. Um, so to get into academics a little bit, women tend to be the culture bearers in every culture. And if the woman in the relationship has the tools, having converted to Judaism, I would then have those tools. I can carry on that culture that he has grown up with and has a mixed mixed feelings about, but ultimately feels comfortable in. Um, but also what you said, you know, is it just a technology for dinners? You know, that's kind of reductive, I think, because I think Gathering people for dinners is really important and really great and is in itself a spiritual thing. 
No, I agree. I mean, I mm-hmm. I, I love dinner. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I and lunch. And no, I really breakfast I really is do. pretty good. <laughs> um, and I'm an extrovert, so the more people I'm having dinner with, the better. I no, and I I did not mean to to be reductive about it. I think what you said about um about him, you know, wanting you to be the bearer of the culture, um. You know, in his family, that was his mother, mm-hmm. who was not born Jewish and converted. Mm-hmm. Now he is, not to be reductive, but found a woman who was not born Jewish but is converting, mm-hmm. and is now it seems going to has agreed to bring the culture to the family that he will reluctantly squirm through, just mm-hmm. as his mother gave the culture to the family that he reluctantly squirmed through. Is that a role you're entirely comfortable in? I mean, if if he's you said in your um, interview that when you said, you know, let's go to temple this Friday, that he basically had to be dragged kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It -hmm. sounds like this might be a pattern you guys are going to get into, which is you're going to say, look, I'm taking this spirituality stuff seriously. You can't sit home and watch the game. Is that the episode from uh, Sex in the City? Oh, I hadn't even thought of it. Surely it's at least one episode from Sex and the... Uh-huh. Yes, it was. It was Charlotte, Charlotte and I hadn't thought of that, but but it was. And, um, you know, do you worry about mm-hmm. that, that essentially you're going to end up reinscribing this role of like the hectoring culture bearing woman while the guy just wants to, you know, watch the game, play cards? Um, I don't really worry about that because I, I want to do that. Um, you know, saying hectoring culture bearing... It's only it's only those things if I didn't want to do them and I was being forced into them. But I actually want to do them. Here's a question for you. So, Electra, as someone who has, I think, a more pronounced and developed spiritual side than this big log over here. Sophisticated. I think it's possible you might end up getting more and more religious. Uh-oh, Really? And I'm, let's just play with that idea. Mm-hmm. It happens, right? It mm-hmm. happened to, for example, your future mother-in-law, who started mm-hmm. off as a Reformed Jew and then ended up the Orthodox Jew who's not conservative. She started off conservative. She started off conservative, yeah. but then ended up modern Orthodox in a very Orthodox community and now is the person who deems your reform conversion insufficient. Mm-hmm. Let's say you ended up going down that road towards conservative, conservadox, modern orthodox. Let's say you wanted to start keeping kosher. Mm-hmm. Or let's say, well, we'll play with, you're, mm-hmm. you're nodding, it, you're shaking your head. <laughs> let's say you ended up thinking that Sabbath observance was really important and you want to really get off technology and driving and really be Shomer Shabbos. Um, Ken, would that be a problem in the marriage? No, not at all. I think that'd be great. I could use it. <laughs> Especially when we have kids, I think this is all framework for the 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 kids. Like you said earlier, I'd still be a schmuck moving through my life without any real spiritual or religious backing if it weren't for her. And I think it's hard to say what will become of the kids, but this is what we're what we're putting in place for them and for that life of a family. Well, it sounds like Electra's putting it in place, and you're going to go. I'm however, backing her up, but it sounds like it sounds like she's going to decide how religious and in what ways the family sure, is going to be religious. That's fair. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. I've made all those decisions yeah. so far. So what am I like getting the third degree here? What do I, what do, I <laughs> do? I just sit here and, 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 and say that's okay. I don't think that's okay. I think I should be more involved. I think if there were a way for me to be more involved and you're not telling me, please help. Like, I guess. So let me ask you this. I guess I'm curious, who is it that you want her to be? Because if she ended up turning into your mother or your sister or her <laughs> friends, if she, let's say she said, look, I really want to live in Riverdale or the Upper East oh. Side where we can have serious Jewish community. I wouldn't marry her if I thought that was going to happen. Right. Right. I don't think she's going to do that. You you want her But to if act- she did. <laughs> yeah, sure. But if she, if she did, um, I'd probably just move to Palestine. 
So you want her serious answer <laughs> with, with or without serious her. answer with or without without her. Um, what would the hypotheticals are impossible? Um, it is because there's no sense in eating meat without I, butter for me. Meat without butter. So I, mean, I could never. You can eat the burger and then wait two minutes and then just chew on the cheese. No, it has to be together. <laughs> the flavors have to mesh. I mean, so I'm just going to put this out there, right? That. Although you had a very antagonistic relationship toward your toward authority as a child, right? You you said yourself sure. you were in the principal's office all the time. Mm-hmm. What, why? What did you been doing? You been spitballs, selling that cocaine. We were talking selling about. coke in the bathroom. He's kidding at Ramaz. The spitballs, the you know the inappropriate notes being passed in class. You were mm-hmm. in the principal's office all the time. You're rebelling against, you know, the rabbi at Ramaz. You didn't like your mother's faith. You didn't like your sister's, the, the faith that your mother chose. You didn't like your sister's faith. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to marry anyone in that community. Then you go out and find a somewhat older woman. You're six or seven years older. You were, what, 22 when you guys met? 24 when we met, yeah. Mm-hmm. 24 and 31? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and you find a somewhat older woman who you are asking to learn something about this life that you had rejected, but now you want her. I, I see that. I mean, I, I get it. And it's <laughs> tough to swallow. I get and it. And what's more, if she left you or disappeared, God forbid, you would drop all Jewish observance entirely, it sounds like. Well, it would go with her, yeah. She that's, would, that's the point you're making, is that she's really ushering this change to, in my life, um, even though I was the one who initiated it. It's ass-backward. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and... I wish I understood it more than this like primal desire or like this, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm at the behest of something bigger than myself. Does that make sense? Like I, like I'm, I don't know. I, I owe something to either my family or God, who, however, whatever iteration that takes. Um, and I wish I could articulate it better. It's, you know, it's, I'm a writer so I can, um, have the time to think about it on paper rather than just like jump into it. But I haven't, been able to formulate anything other than it, it's a feeling, you know. Electra, any mm-hmm. final words? I think that in um, probably all religions, but especially Judaism with its communal emphasis, you need you need that push and pull from from two people or more. Um, what maybe you don't need it, but it's very helpful, and it's not just it's not just Ken, but anyone would would sort of without the community, um, as the community gets smaller down to one person, just abandon or, you know, lapse more and more. Um, so I think it's a, it's natural that we're sort of pushing each other, um, and, and we have each other to build off of in terms. So he was the one that initiated, uh, you know, the talk of conversion, et cetera. And then I, we switched and I was the one who, you know, pulled, and then, but then we switch, we go back and forth. Um, it's not all me or all him. I just want to say this has been fascinating for me. <laughs> I am like, I am so moved by your generosity and sharing your stories. And I think that our listeners are going to be really, really moved as well. And uh, I wish you um, Mazal Tov in advance on your nuptials, which are coming up in, uh, in a month. Toda. Yep. So a big thank you to Ken and Electra for for sharing their saga with us. Uh, I'm back here with Liel and Stephanie. And, just and what a saga it is, <laughs> Liel. Any any final thoughts at all? Wow, I'm uh, 
I should be lying down on the couch and analyzing my marriage. It's amazing. <laughs> Take I some feel, courage. I feel like it was really amazing that they came forward and gave us what I imagine is a not uncommon and not unusual scenario to be in. Like when you want someone to convert. Like I think it's so – we talk so much about intermarriage and conversion. Like, But this actually was seeing it on the ground and seeing how how things like this happen. So I, I'm just really grateful to them. Totally. For letting I'm, us into their lives. Are we joining the honeymoon? Are we like going <laughs> – I'm assuming. <laughs> I think so too. I was just very moved by it all. And I, I think that – um. You know, I wish them well. I think they're off on a real journey. Um, I'm excited to check in with them a year from now, five years from now, whatever. I guess the only thing I would say, since they really did want our feedback and they came to us and said, help us work through this, is I was um, a little worried about how, I think it was Electra who said, you know, we have a push-pull. And when I'm into the Judaism thing, he sometimes runs from it. But then, of course, he's the one who pushed me into it when I wasn't so sure. And she said, that's kind of our dynamic. And I will just say, you know, if I have any wisdom from 13 years of marriage, um, it feels to me like what you want to get to is a place where the push-pull kind of stops and you're just excited for for each other in the place that you're in. And um, and I, I wish them that. I think they're going to get there and uh, and I hope they stay in touch. There is a way in which I've, I think that when you have an intermarriage or you have a situation where someone's converting for marriage, you really are forced to put it all out on the table in a way that I don't necessarily know that everyone who gets married to someone of the same faith right. or the same culture has to. You decide – like. At the very least, you decide, okay, do we want a rabbi marrying us or not? Most people say, you know, a lot of people say no. But you don't Otherwise, see two Jews being like, how do you feel about Havdalah? Yeah, like there it. is a way you have to really get like parse the nitty gritty. And I, I think it's so amazing. And I think it's why I, I'm so – I when people are dismissive of intermarriage, I'm just like, no, no, no. If a, a good intermarriage, just like any good marriage, I imagine, it requires a lot. You have to like lay down your preferences and lay down what you – like go in it knowing exactly what's important to you. We should because, put out a form. You know, yeah, <laughs> because at the end of the day, every marriage is an intermarriage, even if you're both Jews, you're coming from different places, and every couple needs to have every these conversations marriage between two human beings is an intermarriage. It's, an intermarriage. it's true. My marriage is between Long Island and Livingston, New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> New England, and the Lower East Side, uh, Israel, and uh, Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Our next guest is Charles Stang, who, this was actually my idea, he's a professor of mine at the Harvard Divinity School. He's a professor in early Christianity, 
and he's super hella Christian, but he has this real identity of himself as a goy, as a Gentile. And I think we'll often talk about things as being goyish, but like we mean the whole world. And he actually has spent a lot of time in Jewish spaces and knows what it means to and has really reflected on what it means to actually have being a non-Jew as like a proactive identity. And I was really excited to have a chance to sit down and talk to him about what that means. We recorded this interview in May in his office. Like what makes you so goyish? Well, I don't know. You got to tell me. I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I have Jewish friends of mine who said to me like, you just don't have anxiety. You know, like that, that's the thing. Like there's some kind of, there's some psychological profile that they associate with being goy that they think I have and that they categorically don't have. Does that make sense? It does. Does it resonate with you? Are you like, oh, yeah, I'm not anxious? Um, yeah, yeah, it does, actually. Yeah, it does kind of resonate with me. (laughs) 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 I I mean, I I don't I don't suffer from great anxiety and I I know people who do. And they're mostly Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not say that. You said that. So you're Charles Marshall Stang. You grew up the six of seven kids in Wazada, Minnesota? Uh, Wyzetta. (laughs) Wyzetta, Minnesota. Are there were there any Jews in yes, there small were. town Minnesota? Yes, there were. I don't know the history behind it, but for some reason there was a fairly large Russian Jewish immigrant population in Minneapolis and in the suburbs uh, surrounding Minneapolis. And there were, of course, also just a, a handful of American Jewish families that weren't from that ru- recent Russian uh, immigration. But the ones I knew were mostly part of that Russian group, and that was largely due to the fact that my best friend from sixth grade forward was was from that community, so I got to know them well. How how did you guys become friends? We got to know each other, as I said, in sixth grade. I think the the, the first occasion was a, a science experiment. We went to his house to make crystals, as as anyone does who's in sixth grade. A sixth grade boy looks to the fridge, and I found um, in Lev's fridge. He was embarrassed of his fridge, but his fridge was filled with all pickled everything, like these giant jars of pickled vegetables and fish with the heads still on them and things like that. And he was quite embarrassed about this, but I loved it. And I, because in my house, my mom was is largely a vegetarian, and more than that was like on a campaign against salt and taste and flavor. And so... Uh, I just, I thought all this salty pickled uh, food was amazing and I just ate all of it. And I think it was, I think it was another occasion. I think it was Lev's birthday party. His mom offered everybody borscht. <laughs> and I and I was like, what is it? And, you know, it's a, you know, it's this beet, red beet soup and I'll try it. And I loved it. And I shoveled the borscht in for the entire birthday party. And I think at that point, I just, that, that, sealed the deal his mother was like i like this one <laughs> this one's a keeper <laughs> and do you remember did you feel like a gentile did you feel goyish like or did it just feel like this is your friend lev and his family and it didn't feel like part of broader communal identities i mean i didn't feel uh goyish in my life generally because everybody was 
uh, Christian right. were growing up. So I didn't really have that as a category mm. until I sort of started hanging around Lev's family and the wider circles they moved in. And then definitely I began to feel like, oh, there's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a category here. I'm, I'm, I'm the goy. Um, but, but there was so much genuine love that I didn't feel that as an alienating category. I, was, I always felt it like a privilege. Like, I'm the goy. <laughs> like, I can show up and like... Yeah, yeah. And they're all like, oh, it, yo, it's Lev's boyfriend. That's great. And he's going to eat all your borscht. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll reliably eat all your salty food. He's very polite. And uh, and and I was much taller. At, well, late, I, I had a growth spurt. I was much taller than Lev's family and they would ask me to hang things um uh, so i was good for that too <laughs> so it's like the from jews have their shabbos goys and you were the like all-purpose goy exactly <laughs> so living in israel was yeah. was it just so you know with all your love of jewish food was it just food heaven for you guys not really Surprisingly, it was a bit of a disappointment. I mean, um, so Sarabin said uh, that Sarabin's my wife. Uh, she said, you know, I think she said it first, you know, that you basically can't get any good Jewish food in Jerusalem, which is, of course, an absurd statement. But it's, there's also something true in it. Like we couldn't get a decent chocolate or cinnamon babka. And we went on a like an odyssey to find babka. And we would go to all these bakeries and people would say, oh, try the babka. And it was always a disappointment. It didn't hold a candle to Zabar's babka. Finally, Sarah, been, oh, somebody said, you got to try this, this bakery. I can't remember what it's called, but it's right around Makane Yehuda. She went in there and she saw something that looked like a babka. And she asked the, the woman working there, is this babka? And the woman said, I don't know. It might be. I only know the name Babka from Seinfeld. And so she had to ask. So that, I felt like something was revealed there. What was it like living as a Christian in Israel? Was that like a fun place to live out the Christian faith? No. No, it wasn't. I've never found my way into the practice of Christianity in Jerusalem. The, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is a special place for me. But I have my own private pilgrimage that I make there, and I've never been part of a community or felt like the services that were taking place in Jerusalem were mine. Um, I mean, quite the opposite. I had I had an experience of going to uh, an Easter service, St. George's, as the Anglican church, um, just over the Seam Road in East Jerusalem. And I was in church Easter morning, something I've done many, many times, and I just had the profound sense I, that I needed to get out of that church. And I just walked out in the middle of a service. I never walked out in the middle of an Easter service. There's something about Christianity in Jerusalem that, that I find hard to enter. Yeah. No, I think for a lot of Jews, it's Israel's hard because on the one hand, it's like there's a lot of historical there. It's also just a very manufactured religious experience for many people, and Absolutely. people go on tours and— um, and it's no less manufactured, of course, for Christians. And, right. And everyone wants this search for authenticity. But right. then when someone packages and sells you authenticity, it doesn't land in the same way. Yeah. So I think something that always interests Jews, especially, is the centrality of faith in, in Christian identity. 
does faith feel like the right word for that? Like basically you're like, yeah, I believe in that. Are you asking me, it seems like you're asking two things. One is, it, is faith the right word to, to describe your relation your your relationship to Christian? Yes, to I, I, I certainly okay. I certainly don't have any problem with the category of faith. I'm I'm happy to say I have faith. Jesus um, is God. Oh, now then we're talking about the, the so to speak the content of that faith. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay. The, the specifically what I would imagine is the Christian content of that. Faith. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Um, uh, the Christian content of my faith. Like, do I affirm? That Jesus is God. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I struggle with it because I don't really know what it means. And I don't know that the tradition really knows what it means. Um, and, you know, you're catching me. What, what year are we in? 2018. It's, it's May. Like, I'm a moving target. I'm constantly trying to make sense of this or hold the tension in, in my life. Um, but I would say that the things I can absolutely... Well, absolutely today, but to is the the particularity of this figure, Jesus, and the fact that he is Jewish and that he lived and died when and where he did are important to me. And, and so situating him in that very rich, particular context of Second Temple Judaism, that's important to me for appreciating who this figure was. And then the other is this faith that insofar as God can be incarnate, God can be in a human, God was in this person, that this person, or to put that differently, that this person was divine. Um, And so I've sort of pulled between this very human Jesus and a Jesus that in whom the word uh, as this sort of um, transcendent uh, metaphysical principle is also present. Those two things are both really important to my faith. So when you talk about kind of feeling like realizing you're a Gentile, realizing that you're a Goy, kind of with Lev's family, do you feel like you've had this beloved Goy status elsewhere? Is it <laughs> like did it did it just sort of cement a relationship that like oh Jews love me and being a Gentile is actually part of that and that's fun. Well, I mean, I feel odd saying Jews love me, um, but I I would say that I have been very fortunate to have not only really close Jewish friends, but also Jews who love me. (laughs) Not all Jews love me, but I I have some groups of, uh, deserved or not, yes, they they seem to love me. And um, uh, I don't know why that is. (laughs) You guys are so kind to love us. We don't deserve it. <laughs> and that was Professor Charles Sting telling us about why Jews love him and he's everyone's favorite goy. Thank you for giving us a glimpse into your world and spending time with me. crew it is time for some pod biz tonight may 16th i will be moderating a zoom conversation with rabbi sharon browse and shy held about each of their new books that's at 6 p.m eastern and the final event in my unpacking the book series with the jewish book council and the jewish museum this one's on zoom so no matter where you are i hope you can make it 
And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uo member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. You guys remember back on Mother's Day, we had Sister Julia Walsh, uh, the amazing young woman who happens to be in a tiny convent in rural northern Wisconsin. Yeah. Shout out to Jesuitical, who gave us that tip to have her on the show. So one of the interesting things that came out of that show was that she had a bunch of questions for us, but had never had a regular old Shabbat dinner. And um, shortly after the episode came out, a listener emailed us and said, well, um, we're not going to be too far from her, and we want her to come over for dinner. And so they asked us to put us in touch with her. And, you know, my my mantra, as everybody here has learned, is always be recording. So I said I would happily do so, but you've got to tape it for us. And they did. And not only did the hosts tape it, but Sister Julia got us some tape. And so this is just incredible stuff. So take a listen. Do you think they were habits? Huh? No. No? You don't think so? so. No? Do you think they're dressed completely, like, yeah, okay. Um, Nice. Two voices you just heard are unorthodox listeners Alana Matthews and William Needleman. This past July, along with several of their friends, Alana and William hosted Sister Julia Walsh for her first ever Shabbat dinner. You might remember Sister Julia. She was our Gentile of the Week on our Mother's Day episode back in May. When Alana heard Sister Julia say that she didn't know any Jews up in her part of Wisconsin, she knew she had to fix that. Alana's kids go to Camp Ramah, a Jewish camp just a few miles from where Sister Julia lives. So Alana wrote to us and said they wanted to invite Sister Julia to their Shabbat dinner the Friday night before they picked up their kids from camp. The Shabbat group of five Jewish families converged in their traditional lake house where they met Sister Julia, who brought along two of her housemates, Sister Marla and Sister Anita. When the sisters arrived, they were met by Alana and William, plus Beth and Mark Koplovich and their daughter Daphna, Lori Nagus and Paul Wilson, Jordi and Jesse Loeb, and Jana and Daniel Rosenthal. Not wanting to miss a good story, we made sure all of the guests recorded their thoughts about the Shabbat dinner before and afterwards. And they also recorded during the Shabbat dinner, which is not exactly kosher, but whatever. So here, we start with sisters Julia, Marla, and Anita, three Franciscan nuns, in the car on their way to have Shabbat dinner with a lot of Jews. So I I would just expect this to be somewhat of a spiritual experience, not just a uh, 
experience of uh, people getting together to talk. Uh, yeah, kind of anticipate something similar, like that it would be, you know, it would be prayerful, but it would also be, but it would also be kind of communal and jovial, or in a way too. Like I just kind of expect it, especially since these people apparently gather together a lot. I'm sure they're really close knit. Marla, have you ever gone to a Jewish prayer meal before? Oh, I've gone to a Muslim group uh, prayer, a supper. Um, uh -huh. I've been to Seder meals quite often, Okay, but not a weekly one. i got to say that since I got to be the Gentile of the week for the Unorthodox podcast, the experience and the that encounter with now this new Jewish community in my life has awakened this interest in Judaism in me that's very different than I've probably had prior any at any other point in my life and part of it I've realized is is like aware that Jesus was Jewish and and in some ways I don't know like how Jesus really prayed I've always assumed that he prayed the Psalms and he prayed in the temple but I don't beyond that like I don't know did he do a Shabbat meal I don't know is, is Shabbat uh, was that a when did that get started I don't know anything about this tradition you know but I, I mean I think he was a fully Jewish human being yeah that's all he could be because that's how he was raised yeah I'm just totally in awe of the hospitality and the warmth that this community has extended towards me so sharing you two with them is like a way that I can share a little bit more of who I am where I'm coming from as a Franciscan sister so yeah it's great meanwhile let's check back in with Alana and William as they continue their conversation in the car wanted to ask you as somebody who didn't grow up doing Shabbos and who didn't grow up with Shabbat dinners with family and with friends. This is what keeps me committed to religion. <laughs> the sense of community. The sense of community manifested by... <laughs> the um, traditions of Shabbat? Uh, yeah. yeah. Whatever sort of disbelief needs to be suspended to embrace the loveliness of Shabbat, I'm all over that. Yeah, this is like the best. This is it. This yeah. is the best part. Exactly. This is the best part that they get to, yeah, uh, that exactly. they get to see. Do you think that they're going to expect some focus on God? Because mm. we don't, there really no, isn't much. No. But I, I, the sense of community, I mean, and what Shabbat means, it's good enough and accessible to everyone. Right. Well, and they can look at the liturgy, right? That'll get boring. <laughs> Do you think you might be bored at parts? Yes, but that's what happens when more religious aspect or spirituality, my white noise meter tends to go up higher. Huh. You're not going to be bored. You're I'm gonna not going to be bored. Yeah, there'll be a little bit of anxiety. I sort of hope we don't, we're not too overwhelming. We're a big group and, True. you know, most of us know one another pretty well. And I hope that we're able to have, you know, one big conversation, yeah. that would be good. Do you have questions that you want to ask them? Well, I would be interested to know, except for the blessings at the beginning of dinner, you know, it's not really, it's not so much about God and, and it certainly isn't so much about God for me and, well, and you. I'm interested in what they think of that. God is there. I mean, that's why we're doing it. That's why we're there. But it isn't the sort of thing where prayer and devotion 
is a you know an ever-present element of our yeah. Yeah. you know Shabbos dinner. After finally arriving at the house, Alana sits down with Lori to talk about it, and Jesse and Jordy join in. I'm expecting a lot of fun. Um, if we can avoid drinking too much to make a bad impression. I mean, I speak for all of us, not that we don't. <laughs> Lori, I hope you don't drink too much. Yeah, I do. Oh. We're going to teach you how to eat gefilte fish, right? Yes. Is that the plan? Gefilte fish and borscht. And borscht. And borscht. Yes. And quinoa, because that's what I <laughs> Wait, and there's quinoa? And Jen and Daniel bring potatoes. Oh, so that's, yes, not quinoa tonight. Quinoa not quinoa tonight. No. Sorry, tonight. sisters. Sorry, sisters. Sorry, um, sisters. And no then, quinoa. Do we think, do we call her Julia? And I think Sister Julia. Sister, Sister Julia. Julia. Okay, I want to be... Much like, I think that much rabbi. Like we would call, like, we would expect somebody else to call. Yeah, rabbi, priest, father. Sister. Sister. Sister, okay. But they didn't on the podcast, did they? I don't think they did. How rude. How Maybe rude. I was thinking of asking. I think that's Hi. the thing you do. Hi. Hi. Jesse, come and tell us um, and join in our conversation about your expectations for Shabbat dinner oh. with, so, with the nuns. Jesse is is a an Orthodox virgin, so she just heard it for the first time. I know. Right? When I know. It was my first time. Let's see. So the first thing that I was thinking about was if I could leave anybody with some kind of like an authentic Shabbosy feeling or mm. something would be the flavor of like my childhood, one of which is borscht. <laughs> and you either love it or you run, right? You There's two different feelings about it, but I grew up with it. And the house would smell like cabbage. And my Bobby's fingers would smell like cabbage. And this just makes me happy. So that's what I thought. I thought, you know, there's certain not for me. It was like the smell of my Bobby's fingers and the house and the smell of the house and um, weird food. Um, Jordy was also very concerned about the lack of um, happy hour in everybody's hands. So oh, we'll have a happy hour. I have sangria. We're having a happy hour and they, they drink. So oh, the other thing I want I want to disavow her of the fact that there are no Jews up here. I mean, just that yes, right now she's right. going to learn what we look like and that we're crawling all over the place but, for. Although unfortunately, weeks. they won't like they won't be able to see what oh. we see and what we know. Ten-year-old Daphna, the only child at the dinner, is next. Who's coming tonight? Um, so three nuns, right? Yeah. We listened to a podcast with one of them. Sister Julia. Yeah. Well, mom told me that they're not going to be like that lady from Madeline. She told me that they're going to be like mostly dressed like us. They're not going to be like wearing weird thingy-majiggies. They won't. Right. So yeah. probably not habits. What do you think that they will think of Shabbat dinner. They're probably going to think it's pretty weird at first because, well, not like weird, but they're probably not going to understand it. I remember when I was really little and we invited Claire and Ava over for their first Shabbat ever. They had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Are there things that you think they should know? And It's a Shabbat long time dinner? before we actually get to eat anything. It's a long time, but okay. Well, unless you count challah. Yeah. And juice. Finally, we have Paul, who also incidentally thought of inviting Sister Julia to their Shabbat dinner. 
So my first thought about tonight is when I heard the podcast and the and she said that there were no Jews up in the North Woods, I thought we have to fix this because there are plenty of Jews in the North Woods, at least for eight weeks every summer. So, um, so that was why I'm very happy this is happening because of being able to rectify that. So answer number two is that it feels like a Kim Kardashian moment. Like this is something I heard on the podcast and I actually get to meet them in real life. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's sort of exciting and kind of this whole, um, thing that doesn't happen every day where there's this podcast that thousands of people listen to and yes. somebody was on that show and I'm going to have dinner with them. <laughs> so cool. It just seems like she'll be a much more fun and interesting guest than Kim. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yay. To you tonight. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, I think it'll be fun tonight. And we'll just Jew out. We will we'll Jew out. We'll Jew out. It's finally time for dinner, and we just wanted to give you a little taste of that. I put wine, I put a bunch of wines on the table, okay. or two wines, oh, but no red. Have you noticed a difference in the taste of water up here? Yeah. Yes, Did, who were you, t- I, I noticed it. I think it doesn't yesterday. have taste, which is the difference. Because it, it, it's just water. <laughs> it's and it's do it yeah. We are recording. So okay. Everybody wave hi. Hi. Hi, thingy. This is so funny. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. So we this is yeah, what we is. do pretty much every Friday night. We bring in our Sabbath. So the way that we bring in the Sabbath, which is 25 hours, so officially from sundown to an hour past sundown. And you can start it early, but you cannot end it early. So the way that we start it is by lighting candles and saying a short blessing, blessing wine, um, and then blessing bread. With, a, again, a very short blessing. Um, blessing bread is something you would traditionally do at every meal. Every meal, right. Are so, you not supposed to eat tomorrow? No, we yes. are supposed to eat. We're not supposed to cook. Right. So there... We, we are flexible. We are not this strict. <laughs> okay. If you were strictly Sabbath observant, there are actually 39 categories of work you don't do on oh, the Sabbath. Right. Oh, which all based are on... all based on the work that was done for the building of the temple. Oh. And so you would not light a flame, which means you would not cook. I think everyone does. Yeah, which means you would not use prepare everything in advance. And there's lots of ways around that. Like yes. you leave the oven on. Can you use a crock pot? Yes. Yes. <laughs> as long as you leave it on. All right, we'll pick this up. Let's light candles. Oh, good. Yeah, get to a good start. Who's and most likely on the next page is the blessing for the wine, and uh, it goes the opposite way than you expect because Hebrew is red. Yeah, 
Khachar and I'll hand him out how I'm promoting you. Amen. What does that mean? You know? Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Mm. Now we're done with the ritual. So there was a a lady who was at Marywood at our Spiritual Valley Center just last week who was actually Jewish. And I was telling her I was coming to this. She told me that the the blessings that you guys say over the wine and the bread is the same thing that we say in Mass. Yeah, blessed are you, the Lord God of creation, for you have given us this bread to offer. Fruit. Fruit of the vine is the translation. And the yeah. work of human hands. So, yeah, the work of human hands. Yeah. So it's the same word. Basically the same. Jesus did. Oh, Shabbos, right? Oh, Christ oh, right? oh, 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 did it. Oh, And Jesus would have done. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, this is bringing questions to me about whether... Like my my what I've learned over the you know when I was a kid was that the mass liturgy was based on the Last Supper, right? On Good Friday, and he was celebrating the Passover. Right, it was Passover Seder. Right, it was Passover Seder. But actually, these are the he was probably doing the Shabbat blessings. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good spot to leave them to their meal. This last section will be the nuns discussing their experiences on their ride home and Alana's reflections on the evening. Yeah, so what did you think in general? I think they have a real camaraderie and the relationship they built up between each other. When I was in Lansing, we met weekly. Continue to keep the spirit and grow into it. And so you develop this kind of, of just almost... You know, brother and sister kind of uh, sense of even how people think or, you know, what, uh, or just I think whenever there are really small groups that commit themselves to gathering, that you get that kind of, uh, can develop that kind of uh, comradeship. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like a praying community is a strong community, it, 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 but also if the prayer includes meals, it's a different Yeah, that gathering around the table. I found during Shabbat dinner that having sisters Julia, Marla, and Anita there made me more conscious of what we were doing and why we were doing it. It kind of made it all a little more intentional and meaningful. So there is that. It is really amazing to me how it does help me think about like what my cousin had said. But Catholics are Jewish Christians. Like we, because we've upheld, maintained so many of the rituals and the yeah. prayers in our, in our liturgy. I mean, it just, I, I felt so at home with all of them because of that. I have to be honest and say, you have, to have a hard time um, observing those many rules that oh. they have. Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, those that I would find that very confining for me. Mm. Well, and, I mean, you spend so much time having to just figure that all out. I, I can't imagine how ordinary folks that are living on a um, subsistence wage could possibly afford to, to follow any of that. Yeah. Or they just would have vegetables, you know, which is what they could do. They just wouldn't be able to eat meat. But I, I admire any group oh, I mean, yeah. that has, you know, the qualities I experienced. 
yeah. you know, the sense of family, the sense of family. faithfulness to, and the sense of yeah, God, gratitude. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I think one of the things that impressed me the most is how they were all they were all saying the prayers and they were all singing them from their hearts and it wasn't like anyone was holding back you know they all knew them I mean and I, I love that when I'm praying with a group and everyone knows it and everyone's involved in it it doesn't feel like there's people that are just there out of obligation like they all wanted to be there and they all wanted to be praying it I don't know if I've experienced that very much when I go to a Catholic church we're, we're so glad that it happened and so grateful that it went so well. We feel really fortunate to have had this experience. Well, I thought it was real privilege to be there today. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it was so very, amazing, the hospitality. So thanks for yeah. connecting. It's time for bed. So thanks again to Alana and William for being the primary drivers of this. But wow, I'm our listeners are the best. Yeah. Shabbat shalom. Can we talk fundraiser? I know it's annoying, but can we talk about that a little bit? Stop rolling your eyes, Shara. Um, first of all, thanks to everybody who's already donated. Uh, and I know Mark told you last week it was ending, but I need to get a little NPR for a minute. But listen, part of the reason we're here is because we want to tell you that some of the best work that the three of us and the rest of our team have gotten to do, some of the things we're proudest of, like Mitzvah Tank, the conversion episode, stuff like that out of the out of the studio, doing stuff that's more interesting are only possible because you guys give us money. Yeah. Um, here's what I'm asking and what we're all asking. Last year, we raised just about $30,000. We're a little bit past that right now, um, but we've got twice the listeners. So I'm going to set a target and see if we can all as a group make it so that we can do some of the stuff we want to do. Everybody wants to hear uh, Jews Across America 2 electric jugaloo, right? Um, yeah, that didn't land well. You can just cut that. Um, we, we know some of you... <laughs> that was I'm not going to cut it. Just keep, just keep okay. going. Okay. So, so we know some of you haven't had a chance to give yet, so I still want to give you a chance to get us to our goal, and our goal is 50 grand. As of right now, the drive is actually going to end on September 6th, our last episode before Rosh Hashanah. Or when we hit that goal, whichever comes first. But you know what? I, I, I think that it's not completely fair to just say, here's your target, get it done. So I think what we're going to do is, for those of you who weren't able to get a standing room spot for the live Jap show, we have video. And so it's raw right now and not produced, but that can be changed. And so if we hit the $50,000 goal, I think I'm going to produce that video and give it to every single person who's donated. That's awesome. I think that um, just as valuable as getting to $50,000 for those of our listeners who maybe they don't have the extra money to donate to their favorite podcast are uh, reviews, which bump us up in these like iTunes ratings and they help people find the show. So I think, Josh, that if we get up to 1,000 reviews, I think we're like just shy of 500 right now. 499 as we record this. If we get up to five or 1,000 reviews... Before this deadline, I think you should give him the video anyway. Um, fine. I mean, all right. Look at that. They say nothing in life is free. 
Um, but yeah. it's free to leave a review. So we need 501 more reviews or $50,000. But I think y'all should give us both. So the one other thing before we before we shut up about money. Um, don't forget that the swag is actually pretty, pretty great. There's a couple of things that you cannot get unless you give money in this. Uh, there's a limited edition sticker. There's a really awesome lapel pin that came out so much more amazing than I even thought. And my favorite, though, is the Camp Unorthodox 2018 t-shirt. And nobody else is getting these. Um, so get us over the hump. And, of course, we've got bigger prizes if you throw down the big bucks. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the Let's do Mazel Tobes. All right. No, let's start with you. I want to shout out uh, Ido Dembin and Shai Bialik, uh, friends of mine who uh, hosted me in Israel, uh, let me crash on their couch, let me prod them incessantly with questions about Israeli politics. They are from Israel. They have lived in Paris. Now they live in New York. So one might reasonably expect that they would be the world's rudest couple. But in fact... (laughs) But in fact... Um, they're so nice. They're so cool. And they just moved, um, well, from some place in the Upper West Side to another place in the Upper West Side, second home in New York. They are officially New York Jews, um, which I know they will just be so happy, uh, to hear me declare it on air. So if you catch them, presumably between therapy and soul cycle or whatever it is that Upper West Side New York Jews. Zabars. Right. Um, make sure that you say hi to them. And since I am not always the best at texting, this is just my way of saying, let's hang out soon, guys. Josh, got a couple of toes for us. Yeah. Um, so I hinted at it before, but I'm going to be hung up on this a little bit. I want to give a big mazel tov to Dina Kraft, who's the journalist I'm working with on that other show. She has done amazing work. She had never gone into doing audio stuff before and is now pretty decent with a microphone, and I'm proud of her. Um, We're only getting better, but uh, I'll bring you that soon. And, of course, the rest of the team at Hadassah, Cheryl Hoffman, Naomi Brun-Lehrman, Sierra DeCrosta, Erica Brody, and Beth Fairchild. Thanks, folks. It's been really cool. So I want to give a huge mazel tov to the rest of the chaplain interns at the hospital this summer. We all just finished last week. And they're so good. Like, I learned so much from them. So mazel tov, guys. Y'all rock. And then just a big, huge mazel tov to one of my oldest friends in the world, Yishai Schwartz, uh, and his new wife, Daniela. They just got married, and the wedding was so fun, and they're so cute, and they're living in New Haven, so I'm going to see them soon. And you guys are the best. Mazel tov. And we have one more special shout-out to one of our favorite letter writers. Happy 30th birthday, Gavi. This is uh, your wife, Livia, recording from your living room, where you are not. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is produced by me, Shir Tlishkin, along with my co-producers, Josh Cross and Noah Levinson, who also brilliantly edits our show. Our assistant editor is Sophia Steinart-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by Golem online at golemrocks.com. Our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. For anything you need, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or give us a call at 914-570-4869. You can get shirts and other swag at bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. You can follow us on, on Instagram at unorthodoxpodcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. 
And don't forget to join our Facebook group. We have thousands of listeners and the conversations are always amazing. Rabbinic Supervision this week by Rabbi Jody Gordon, Electra's conversion rabbi, and by Stephen Miller's uncle, David Glosser, who will always give us the tochacha we need. We record at Argo Studios, which is equally ashamed of its nephew. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.